Each year we slow down the rhythm of lesson and carol, lesson and carol, just long enough to focus on one particular scripture passage. It's never been after lesson number one, but we are using an extra lesson this year because the traditional first lesson of nine lessons and carols is Genesis 3.15. And it happens to fit our sermon series that we started this fall, and it happens to perfectly fit exactly where we are in Genesis chapter three. Steve's sermon last Sunday covered the same passage, and so uh, what I want to do is take a little bit different storytelling approach to fit what we're doing with these lessons and carols, as I said at the beginning of the service, telling the truest and grandest of all stories, the story of salvation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the very first words of the Bible, God shone light into darkness. God turned chaos into order and crafted every living creature, every little color and um, shape and size. He crafted every species of plant and tree. He set every star in its perfect place in the universe, but his masterpiece was man and woman each created in his image, each uniquely designed to reflect something of his character to the rest of the created order. When God finished his work, he stepped back. He took it all in and he reveled at what he declared very good. He reveled at the perfect purpose and the harmony and the beauty and goodness with which he had created all things. He rested in the satisfaction of his labors. It was good and very good. Man and woman enjoyed this perfect harmony in relationship with their creator and in relationship with each other, trusting and loving with no hint of guilt or shame, no ingredients leading to loneliness, humiliation, embarrassment, self-consciousness, no reason to display any amount of fear or anxiety. And then we sigh. Because then sin entered the world. Sin ruined a perfectly harmonious creation. The devil's deception tantalized the desires of human hearts. Sin by Adam and Eve was an act, a choice of rebellion against the king. Sin was a doubt of his perfect heart, doubting that God had their best interests in mind. Adam and Eve had already been told earlier on in Genesis chapter two that if they ate of the fruit of the one forbidden tree, they would certainly Die, But in the moments after taking that first bite, choosing to rebel, choosing to mistrust God's heart, they didn't just keel over as if they had been poisoned. The New Testament tells us that sin entered the world and death through sin and that spiritual death, separation from God, which will be hinted at when Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden at the end of chapter three, separation from God was the consequence of their choice. And yet, but God, we say here, those are gospel words. Instead of bringing judgment that was due the sin of humanity, God made a promise that showed two things from his heart 
for the very first time. He displayed mercy, not treating Adam and Eve as their sins deserved, and he displayed grace, offering them favor and blessing that they did not deserve. God pronounced a curse on the serpent, and the heart of the curse was this promise in Genesis 3, verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is a prophecy about spiritual descendants. The offspring of the woman is the church, all who place their faith in Jesus, the Savior. The offspring of the devil are all who rebel against God in unbelief, who reject his ways, who turn aside. So first in this prophecy, there's this general description about conflict. Offspring versus offspring, the good guys versus the bad guys. But then there's a reference to he, a singular pronoun pointing to one individual descendant of the woman's line. And God promises, warning the serpent, that he will one day deal a deadly headshot to the devil. He will defeat evil. So here in verse 15 of Genesis 3, before we hear about any of sin's consequences coming upon Adam and Eve's sin, which they deserve, God shares good news. He shares the gospel, pointing ahead to his promise that he will provide deliverance from sin and even death. When we fast forward to the New Testament at the end of the book of Romans, Paul writes this, good news, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's good news. The apostle John adds this in 1 John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus came, was to destroy the devil's work. Moments after sin entered the world and changed everything, creating this chasm between creation and creator, the nevertheless, even still, persistent love of God shows up in this promise that the Redeemer will come, that evil and sin and death will be overcome, that the darkness will have its day, and even though things will get uglier before they get better, a Savior will defeat evil. All of it hinted at, promised in the very first pages of the Bible. We close with a family reunion that happens right after the New Testament scene that later on lesson number four is going to describe. Mary in the New Testament goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth who is filled with the Spirit and therefore divinely knows that her cousin who has just gotten pregnant is not only pregnant, no one else could know, but she's pregnant with the Messiah. Listen to the words of Elizabeth, Luke 1, 42. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Take a look at this drawing of Mary comforting Eve. Eve is still in the garden. She's filled with shame. She's still holding the forbidden fruit. She's looking down, downcast, embarrassed, and the serpent's influence is still very close, depicted by this artist um, a few decades old by the fact that the snake is right at her feet and even 
um, surrounding one leg. But Mary lifts her face, offering her encouragement, pointing her to hope. And the fruit that Eve is still holding on to is a reminder of rebellion and sin which brought shame and guilt and even death. But according to Elizabeth, centuries later, millennia later, there's a second fruit in this picture. It's the fruit of Mary's womb. And he will crush the serpent's head, not Mary's left foot. That's a little bit of artistic license. But the fruit of her womb, he will crush the serpent's head. He will bring freedom and forgiveness, even life. This morning, do you realize and can you see the only reason we're here, the only reason we gather on any day to worship the king is because this Jesus promised from the very beginning of the scripture has come, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, revealed as the true king, coming again to finish his victory over evil and sin and death. He is the savior of all who truly believe in him. God, rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Let's pray. God, when we were gone astray, when we have sinned of our own choice, when we have repeated rebellion of Adam and Eve and mistrust of your heart just as they did, what good tidings, what good news, what amazing grace that Jesus has come. And so fill us with fresh or stronger faith, each of us, to see this Savior provided to us, to rescue us, promised from the beginning of time, come to fulfillment in the first century, and Jesus, who is coming again. We praise you, Lord God, in his name. Amen.